from high sticking to breaking down the middle. Here's the lowdown with Low Tide on, on Sports, Sports 1440. Presented by Wolf GMC Buick. We're making it easy. WolfGMCBuick.com. Welcome to the lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. Today's show, all oh, those Oilers. The gales of November came early and then again in Minnesota. The GM has tied himself up and he can't reach the phone. He has no cap room. He should be putting someone on waivers right now. Declan's going to chime in if he does. The coach keeps smiling while the season burns and he will not play the youth. The defense is addled and the goalies wear shirts that say, how did that go in? How frustrated are you, Oiler fans? I bet you're, <laughs> I bet you're grumpy today. You know, and it has nothing to do with the weather or maybe driving around or, you know, the amount of money that's taken off your check. None of that. It's all Oilers all the time. We're at sports1440.ca, iHeartRadio, and Radio Player Canada. You can text or call us at 1-833-401-1440. That's 1-833-401-1440. On Twitter, at Low Tide, and at Declan Kruger. The lowdown is driven by Wolf GMC Buick. New name, same great team. Find them on the corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road, wolfgmcbuick.com. We have two terrific guests today. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. He's already been he's already been texting me. You know, I do prep, and then it doesn't matter because McCurdy sends me a list of what he wants to talk about. So we're going to go with his agenda. I'll have a few things sprinkled in. Uh, he's he's very passionate about what's going to be happening with the Edmonton Oilers this weekend. I will tell you that. Dave Raymond, play-by-play broadcaster for Bally Sports Southwest, will talk about Texas Rangers being in the World Series. I'm trying to think of, you know, the, the, there's wonders of the world. From a sports point of view, the Rangers making the World Series and winning the World Series is one of the wonders of the world. You can go back and see where they began, and I believe it was 1962 as the Washington Senators. And when they moved to Texas, Ted Williams, the great Boston Red Sox manager or player, was the manager, and they struggled badly. Whitey Herzog had them. Whitey Herzog, a brilliant manager. They were terrible. Now, top of the world. And Arizona is their opponent? Wow. The Eastern Seaboard's like, what the hell? They're always in the World Series. Not this year. Okay. Time to do the top stories, and we begin with the Edmonton Oilers. All right. So we're going to talk about youth today. Declan, do you have anything to add? Is there anything that I've missed that you want to talk about? No. No, no, no. The show started flying. I assume I uh, might have a little to add as we get into this opening segment here, but I'll let you take it away as always. Would you do me a personal favor? Of course. I'm going to be talking and rambling on and pontificating, which is what I do. Could you please, if there's a waiver mention of anything Oilers, can you let me know? Yes. Yes, of course. All right. So we're going to talk about young people today, like my friend Declan over here. Young people, all of us when we're young, young hockey players, young athletes of all type, nobody develops in a straight line. Nobody. There are ups and downs and there are ebbs and flows. And that's why sometimes a player will come into the league and be dynamite, fade and get traded and then reestablish himself somewhere else. I want to talk about Evan Bouchard. Do you remember in the spring during the playoffs and even before then after the trade deadline when Matthias Ekholm was acquired, everybody was talking about him. Like, you know, he, he, the, the light bulb has gone on. I did. And we get tricked as human beings all the time about this stuff. Evan Bouchard was brilliant after the deadline down the stretch and into the playoffs. This year, he's not brilliant. He's doing what all young uh, inexperienced players do, and that is meander. And how much meandering have you done in your 20s so far? About seven or eight yeah. meanders. Yeah. Yep. 
and and you, and what we, we we learn, we get gain experience from that. But it takes time. Organizations have to be very careful with players like Evan Bouchard, and here's why: because if they don't back off his minutes, if they don't reach a point where he can sort of regain his conscious uh, his confidence and and be on his own two feet and comfortable in his own body, then they're going to end up trading him for nothing like they did with Justin Schultz. Do you remember what the Pittsburgh Penguins did when Justin Schultz was acquired by the Pens back in the day? They put him on the ice with the coach, and he skated around for like a couple of days. And then he practiced with the team. I think it was like a week and a half before he played a game. And even then, it was depth minutes. They were sort of rebuilding him as a human being and as a player, getting his confidence back. And Justin Schultz won a couple of Stanleys, as I recall, still in the league, productive player. Maybe not the player the Oilers thought he was at the time of their signing him, but he's had a productive career. Evan Bouchard will have a productive career. I don't know if it's here. I, I think that that the Oilers have some problems. Ken Holland has has pay, spent right to the cap. So a 23-man roster is now a 20-man roster. And that really limits what Jay Woodcroft, the coach, can do. Woodcroft is doubling down on that problem by not putting Philip Broberg in a position where he could maybe help out Evan Bouchard. Playing with Matthias Ekholm, move Bouchard down to the third pair at five-on-five. He can still play on the power play. He's brilliant on the power play. But take him away from the five-on-five minutes that he's struggling in. Up front, once again, Dylan Holloway is is playing third line. Uh, I, I think the Edmonton Oilers have to play Dylan Holloway and Philip Broberg in October, November, and December. They will reward you in March and April, hopefully in May when you're in the playoffs. That's how it works with young players. If you're if you're counting on Matthias Janmark in October and losing games and still going back to Matthias Janmark, then you've lost the plot. And I'm te- I'm t- just here to tell you today that I think that I think that Jay Woodcroft might be in a little bit of trouble as a coach because he's not finding any solutions and he really isn't trying that much. It's not it's not innovative per se to say, well, we're going to move Connor Brown down and we're going to move Warren Fogle up and then we're also going to put Matthias Janmark in there because Janmark is not a dynamic player. He's a good two-way guy and he had some chances last night, but what did he do? He didn't cash. So there you go. The owners are doing some things well. Darnell Nurse and Cody CC is a pretty solid pairing. Vincent DeHarnay has a strong expected goal share as well as Nurse and CC. Zach Hyman, Warren Fogle, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, and Nuge are all scoring well at 5-on-5. Five five. But the rest of it is garbage. And I don't see a lot of work being done to make things better. Remember all summer where people were talking about, well, you got to change the defensive deployment. They were talking man-to-man versus zone. Remember when I balked at it all summer long and I said, it's execution. Execution is the key. When you see Evan Bouchard bobble a puck, it happens once or twice or three times in a year for players. He's doing it consistently. He's lost his confidence. The The pressures of the forecheck are causing him to lose his confidence. Check him down to the third pair. He'll play less uh, uh, difficult opposition, and he'll get it back. He's, he's going to be a fine player. He's definitely top four worthy. Right now, he's struggling. One of the reasons he's struggling, Matthias Ekholm has been hurt. He didn't get a, a, a training camp. He's still not at 100%. This will all smooth out. The problem is the owners might not be in the playoffs when it happens. They might have to work like dogs to get into the playoffs. 
and then you're going to face Vegas in the first round, say, or Colorado in the first round. This is a big deal. It's 12.08, low down with low tide on Sports 1440. Here's why it's a big deal. So let's say Connor McDavid has a 22-year career when all is said and done, when we're sitting at the end of his career talking about his brilliance, and it's 22 years in length. When his contract ends, the one that he's on now that has a couple of years to go, he'll be halfway through his career. And I think Connor McDavid's a pretty loyal guy. I think he wants to win with Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse. But at some point, any human being would go, you know, I've spent half of my career at a place that just can't seem to get it together. And I can't be player and GM and coach. And maybe there's somewhere else. Maybe there's a place I can go. And I know you don't want me to talk about it. And I know you get mad when I talk about Leon doing the same thing. But these are the realities. These are the realities of free agency and players being allowed to go when their contracts are up, wherever they they see fit. And there's no use hiding from the problem just because it's two years away. If the Edmonton Oilers were on their way to a Stanley Cup, if they were sitting where Vegas is currently, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I remember when Rick Nash asked for a trade from Columbus. Do you know what he said? He said, you know, I think this is the fourth rebuild, and I'm, I'm just going to ask you to let me off. Just send me somewhere, and I will try elsewhere. And you can start again with, with new players. And that's what Columbus did. And I'm not suggesting Conor McDavid will ever ask for a trade or that he'll be traded. I do not believe that to be true. But the Edmonton Oilers said they were going to do the work on the day that they got Connor McDavid via the lottery. And the report card is in. There's no way to sugarcoat this. The Edmonton Oilers organization didn't do the work. And the result is a team that is nine years into Connor McDavid's career and one four and one. Can't stop the puck. Can't get in the way of the puck. Can't outscore the goals against. They're in trouble. Connor, Connor McDavid will come back and they will win games and they'll probably make the playoffs. Ken Holland has 20 men on a 23-man roster and he can't do a damn thing. This is pretty dire if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan. I mentioned the World Series because there's, there's always a... Baseball is like poetry and lore and... Did you sneeze again? I did, but I thought it was a quieter sneeze. I'm, you know, I'm a little surprised you caught that. A lot of a lot of uh, companies have uh, swear jars. We're going to have a sneeze box. Every time you make some kind of noise, you're going to have to pay $5. Seems a little unfair. I don't think it's really things I can control. I get how it can be distracting, but I'm not I'm, you know, I'm not doing and it to the And your typing is very loud. People can hear your typing in like Guam. Yeah. Well, li- I give you that one. Listen, this type this typewriter is something else, but I mean again, completely out of my control. Wouldn't have it this way if I could choose it. I can see how high the keys are off the board there. It's insane. Oh, they slam in, they slam into the thing like Can you just touch them? Like Do you have to Lewis. hammer them like you're some kind of some like strength, Charles Atlas guy, you don't even know who that is. No, but I type with purpose. I do know that. NBA starts today, Raps versus Minnesota. 76ers don't play tomorrow night. That's not any concern of yours, but I'm a 76ers fan. UFA fight chains. What's this guy, John Jones? Does he not have a better name? Don't they have stage names? 
Uh, no, they do not have stage names. That's WWE, AEW, uh, things like that. No, John Jones, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, is by all accounts the greatest mixed, mixed martial artist of all time, was a long-reigning light heavyweight champion, moved up to heavyweight uh, in March of last year, won the vacant belt against uh, Cyril Gaon. He was scheduled to fight, uh, in many people's eyes, the greatest heavyweight ever in Stipe Miocic this November in New York. He had to pull out of the fight with the torn pecs, so the UFC is going in a different direction. It's going to be Sergei Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall stepping in to fight for the interim heavyweight world championship of the world and Stipe also off the card so a lot of big changes the fight objectively got better but anytime you have a chance to watch the greatest of all time do their work you want to take that so bittersweet but uh, I'm looking forward to the card nonetheless I heard pecs and card that's the only two things that I've uh, really got yeah well that was the base of it I think you got what you needed to yeah all right so just to review the first segment Ken Holland isn't doing anything because he can't he's boxed himself in there's nothing he can do. He has to wait until and look. Connor McDavid is coming back in a in a in a few days. They're going to win hockey games, but the fact that they can't like they are, they're not. I don't think they're not doing enough to change this around. They're like, well, okay, that you know, how much more proof do you have need to have that you can't stop the puck? There's a kid named Olivia Rodrigue who had a hell of a game last night in Bakersfield. I mean, he really did. He played well. Henderson Golden Knights are the best team in the division. And his save percentage tonight, today, is like 960-something or other. And and that is a number, just so you know. And he gained 15 pounds of muscle during the summer. 969. Yeah. I'm not saying they're calling him up. But I'm saying other parts of North America have people who go into rinks and play goal and stop pucks. It's only in Edmonton, apparently, that that's not happening. And nothing's being done. Philip Broberg still plays partial minutes. The Edmonton Oilers are, are, you know, we can talk about the players and, and what they're not doing all we want. The Edmonton Oilers coaching staff and management here are just seem to be content. Ah, it'll, it'll, it'll blow over. It's not that bad. It'll be better. It's like if you owned a house and the weather's turning now and the doors blew off and the windows were shattered in June and you said, ah, it's fine, a few bugs, and now it's winter and you're still going, ah, that's good, we're good. The, there's there's no urgency for the Edmonton Oilers. There just isn't. It'll be fine. Okay. I I think that this is this could end very badly. For, for Jay Woodcroft and for Evan Bouchard. Seriously. This this organization really has to do some things to even look like they're making an attempt to improve. This is this is among like I ordinarily, like I mentioned Gordon Lightfoot at the beginning of the show, the wreck of the Evan Fitzgerald. Uh I only got a few more things I can we can, we can run the Donner party. Uh during the winter time, we can write articles on that. But this is pretty dire. If you're if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, you know about playing, uh, watching a team play that doesn't have any talent and can't possibly win. But you know the future is bright. I've I've never contemplated a team with Connor McDavid, Leon Drysidel, and all of these other cats being one four and one and looking like a seven goals against game is about right. I don't know what you do with that. I don't have an answer for you. I'm just baffled 
by the Edmonton Oilers today. That will be our theme. I, I'm talking pretty dire stuff. McCurdy is in the driveway idling right now, and he's coming up at 1 o'clock. God knows what he's going to talk about. But it won't be good because McCurdy brings the reality, and that's what you're going to get today on the show. All right, so on the way, we're going to talk a little bit about the World Series. Dave Raymond uh, is the play-by-play guy for the Texas Rangers for Bally Sports Southwest. And I want to talk about how historically unlikely the Rangers are to win a World Series or even to be in one and why it came together and how it came together. And is this the year for the Texas Rangers to win the World Series? <laughs> it, it, it is almost impossible to say those words and just not be amazed by what's occurred this year. This is not the team I thought that would be there. We'll talk to Mr. Raymond about that next. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. 12-22. This is the Lowdown. We are here solely due to the good work of Wolf GMC Buick, and we love them. Corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. Low Tide, I hope like hell you open the show with the burnt toast rant, telling the D orders D that they can go to hell. Yeah, I, I lost, that was a few years ago. But back when I did that, that was a time when the orders were bad and they weren't there yet. They they are now there. They've been deep in the playoffs two years in a row. Actually, three years that they've they've done well enough to think that they would. So for me, I I don't understand what's going on. This is a team that should be fully formed. We all agreed they were going to be really good. And the bottom has fallen out. And it's fallen out because they're not getting saves, but they're also giving up a lot of high-danger chances. The high-danger chances are going in the net. You want your goalie to save more of those. But they're also giving up way too many of them. So I don't... I don't... I think Jay Woodcroft is a good coach. I think he's being really hammered by 20 roster spots instead of 23. And that's something the Oilers under Ken Holland thought they could do. And we're not even 10 games into the year, and man, it is an issue. Delighted to be joined by Dave Raymond now, play-by-play man for Valley Sports Southwest and the Texas Rangers. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. You can work years for an opportunity like this. It's got to feel good to be part of an organization and to call the games of an organization that has made it all the way to the World Series. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get into the business, um, you know, initially you're just kind of thrilled to do games, right? And to be a part of it and, and, and whatever, get to know the game better, all of that stuff. And I, I don't think it takes very long for a young broadcaster to, to then sort of dream of being a part of the team that wins it all, right? I mean, that's, that's the, there's the parade, there's, the, you know, there's all the excitement in the town, there's people uh, on the edge of their seats every night hoping and praying that things go right for their ball club and, and you getting to be a part of that. So, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a thrill, and it's one of those things while you, you, you kind of hope for it, I think, every year, and you can fool yourself into believing it could happen this year, every year. Um, it's, it's a little bit surreal when it actually does occur, and it, it is your team in that moment. And so here we are, and, and now I've got a lot to figure out. Like, how in the world did this happen? <laughs> so, and, and also, it's like it's a, it's a, it's a long season anyway. But but this particular one, we're we're October twenty five, and there's a stretch to go. So like I imagine you've had to extend all kinds of things, maybe buy some more shirts. There's lots happening, and and maybe even move vacations around. 
I got to tell you, this, I, since you bring it up, it's not the type of thing a guy would normally admit <laughs> to, but getting to Game 7 of the ALCS and it being a series between the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, separated by roughly 250 miles in the state, a lot of, a lot of tension between the two fan bases and all. I mean, it was really intense, and it was exciting, and it was fun. It was exhausting. I mean, it's, it's just kind of mentally and emotionally exhausting day by day. We got to game seven, and I thought, this is so awesome. How much fun has this been? You know what? Win or lose, everybody's a winner here. This was just some kind of ride. They win. The Rangers win. They beat Houston. In fact, they dismantle them in that final game, and it's exciting and fun. And almost immediately I'm hit with, good Lord, we got nearly a week and a half more of this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. It's so stressful, and it is. It's exhausting. And it's just, it just, like you say, it keeps the baseball season's long, man. But yeah. when you start to get to 180 games, it's like, it's really long. So, but it's, it's, it's a fun ride and one you would never trade in. The, the, one of the things I want to talk to you about, and I, I, we've talked Rangers a little bit in the last few weeks uh, on this show, um, it always seems like there are teams out there, maybe, maybe there's six of them or eight, that should be contenders but can't seem to cobble it together, and there's one piece missing, and sometimes it's the manager. So how important has Bruce Bochy been to this process that the Rangers uh, have somehow brought together to make themselves a 90 and 72 team that's in the world series. Well, I think it's a, a, a really important and, and good observation uh, on your point to, to, just to bring it up because um, it, it's huge. I think it, that it's my opinion, right? I mean, it, it's hard. They've always had a difficult time saying, well, how much is a manager worth? Uh, how many wins, how many losses, what kind of edge does it give you? Heck, even managers for years, have always said, like, well, listen, man, I mean, we have an impact in what? Maybe 10 games a year with some move we make or something. But I think that's really discounting the impact. And in the case of Bruce Bochy, there's the obvious experience issue that, that he brings, having done it as many times as he did with San Francisco, uh, winning three in five years with them. But he'd also previously gotten the Padres to the World Series. Um, I, I think what it really comes down to just having now watched a real pro do his thing the way he has this year. To me, what stands out is the, the relationship that he has with players. Um, I, I think that is probably the most impactful part. So does he make good moves? Is, uh, does he calculate risk, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I think he, I think you could look at some of the things he's done this year, regular season and postseason that are, Really interesting, and it's been, it's been fascinating to watch that part of it. But to me, the part that is almost impossible for people to understand unless they actually see it is how a guy in that position can make other people feel. And it sounds maybe a little new-agey, but I don't think it is. I've seen a lot of guys try to be good managers. You know, oh, he's a player's manager or whatever. Uh, he really empowers his players. Okay, you, you can say these things. You can try to do these things. You can uh, go through whatever motions or whatever that the, the manuals might tell you. But in Bruce's case, he what you find out immediately is that there's nothing calculated, really. It doesn't appear in the way he acts and interacts with people. 
It's just a real genuine guy who has a sincere interest in these guys' lives, both on and off the field, and really cares about them. And I think, like, I think it's really that simple. He really cares about them. They know, they feel in, in their very core that, that he wants them to be successful for them. And he wants them to be in a position where they can do well and those sorts of things. And, you know, again, guys, you'll hear managers talk about those sorts of things. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of time. But you can see that it's a part of his life and his lifestyle that, that he just he spends that time and he extends that real genuine care and interest in guys. And I think it manifests itself with guys feeling confidence and then producing on whatever level they possibly can to continue to earn his approval and, and, um, and trust. So, yeah, he's been, I think he's been a massive part of this turnaround. I guess that's the short answer. I find him interesting because obviously he's had success over over many years as manager, and anybody who watches him walk to the mound knows that he's a catcher uh, and and gave, and gave part of his body at least to the game. But I, you know, I, I have read about him, and I do know that he he's he's regarded as a little bit old school, but he is kind of no, open uh, to new ideas as well. Is there anything about what the the, the deployment of the roster that stands out? for you from him after he arrived? Well, the the one thing that stood out to me immediately was coming out of spring training, he seemed very interested in having uh, players in in, in stable spots in the lineup. So as an example, the team got off to a really good start. Corey Seager, who's their dud in the middle of the lineup and their shortstop, got hurt and was out for a, a stretch of a month, month and a half. Well, he was batting in the second spot on the lineup every day. So now you're thinking, okay, well, what do you do? You move this guy into the two-hole and move this guy over here. He left every single person in their normal spots, and the fill-in guys were the guys who batted second. And I thought, well, what sense does that make? What are you, insane? You've got to put your best hitter second. You can't just put the other guy there just because he's the other guy. But his logic and reasoning was very simply like, well, these guys, these other guys who are really important to the lineup, they need to get their routine and their flow and everything and just be left alone to be good. They don't need to now start thinking, well, geez, I got to be Corey Seager in the two-hole, right? And then the guy who you move to the two-hole, he opens up a spot, right? Maybe the cleanup spot. And so you move somebody in that cleanup spot, and he's like, well, now I got to be the cleanup hitter, man. I got to hit a home run. He didn't want to. Like, it's a ripple effect. Now, all of a sudden, nobody's being themselves, right? Everybody's trying to be somebody else. And his feeling was, no, let's let the other eight guys be themselves in their spots, and we'll put people in that two-hole to be on-base guys. Just give me your best you. Don't, please, you don't have to be anybody other than you right there, and, and we'll figure it out. And I'll be darned if they didn't in that moment. And I thought, well, that is, that's unusual. That seemed to me very unconventional. And he did it again later on when Seager missed a little bit of time. But little moves like that that I thought fascinated me. And again, part of it is analytical. Part of it really is just a feel for people. And I think that's, that's really where he exceeds other managers or excels beyond other managers. So I, I want you to help us. I remember when the Texas Rangers moved from Washington, and I think it was Ted Williams 
uh, introduced the, the, the uniform, and it was a big deal in Texas baseball and all of those things. And, and that was like 1972, and I remember it. So I imagine there are fans in, in the area who have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. In historical perspective, I think we can honestly say that the Rangers, uh, I mean, they've had success before. They've been to it, but they haven't won it before. But th- for the organization to get here now uh, with this team that lost, I think it was 95, 94, 95 games a year ago, how special is this just because it's been so long and uh, it comes on the, the back of some some maybe difficult times? Well, I, you know, people, um, all of us as human beings, I think have a, a pretty keen ability to self-protect a little bit, right? And I think there's a good portion of the, the local population that isn't quite ready to believe yet. It's quite ready to accept that this is happening and really let themselves lean in. It has come very suddenly. Right? You mentioned last year, 94 losses. The year before, they lost 102. So, you know, we knew that there was a big effort. Uh, the, the organization had spent a lot of money to try and bring in some new players who could really turn this thing around. And, you know, that's encouraging, I think, for a fan. But you don't expect it to, to come together as quickly as it, as it has. I have no idea how this community is going to react if they are to win the World Series. They've been twice, lost both times, um, and that's it, right? In a, in a history of a little better than 50 years in Major League Baseball, that's it. Um, so they have a chance to do something, obviously, that's never been done here. And um, I, I, think, I think people are wildly excited, and some are probably even more excited than they want to let on right now because they don't want to get hurt again they're it's just reading comments and talking to people there's a real sense a fatalistic sense and i think this is probably true of a lot of fan bases but a fatalistic sense like oh yeah well you know that other shoe is going to drop any minute well you know maybe it will maybe it won't but go ahead and let yourself enjoy it you know let yourself kind of get swept up in it uh ride that emotional roller coaster with the rest of us and uh and see what happens but i you're right. It's been kind of a, a snake-bitten franchise for a long time. They've had some great talent. They've had some really, really interesting teams. Uh, for years, they could score runs like almost nobody else in baseball but couldn't win. This year, they have, or at least to this point, have had enough pitching to go with really good offense again. And really for the first time in franchise history, I think you could say this is a team that was fundamentally built to pitch first. Um, and then score. And they have, by and large, done that, I guess, to some degree. They've still, I think, if you ask people, they'd probably still say that this is more an offensive team than anything else. But the money and effort and work that they put in to improve the pitching was absolutely the biggest part of this thing. And it's what has pushed them over the, the line to get them to this point. So it's all, listen, it's all uncharted territory. And we'll just, we'll just have to see... Um, how, how these folks react when, when and if they do cross the finish line here in the next uh, week and a half. You've made us smarter, Dave Raymond. Thank you. Appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks for having me. All right, Dave Raymond, Valley Sports Southwest, Texas Rangers play-by-play guy. Good get by you, Declan.
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I thought he was great. He, uh, he had some good stuff on Twitter. He was very enthusiastic, so I'm happy you think so as well. Yeah, now, in our meeting later, I will take credit for booking the guest, but... You know, as I expect. Yeah. And I'm roll. okay with. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? I, 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 I'm cheering like hell for them. I, I, I always... My favorite sports stories are redemption. And that's why I hope Jay Woodcroft comes out with an idea. He's so smart. He's done it before. I believe in him. Um, I think they're going to have to change the coverage. I just don't like I execution is a thing. I'm not talking about execution where you, you know, it's the end. I'm talking about execution when you need to make a play and you do it. The owners are slow to recognize. And I mean, it's okay if you're, you know, just walking down the street. uh, But if you're in a car or playing NHL hockey, slow to recognize is a problem. And the orders are that right now. They need to go back to what they can know and do well because 1-4-1 one, and one is nothing if it ends there. If, if they go 4-1-1, one, and one, then we'll be talking about other things. We're talking about, okay, now can they get back into second? Can they finish in the top three in the division? Can they get home game? Can they be second? They're not getting first. Vegas is gone. What a weird year. I, I'm honest to God. I You know... It just, you know what it shows? I remember that it reminds me so much of the 1969-70 Montreal Canadiens. I've mentioned this before. In 67 and 68, they won Stanley. In 69, I'm sorry, 68 and 69, they won Stanley. In 70, they missed the playoffs. I know that because Bobby Orr and the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. And the Bruins could never beat the Habs. In 71, a year after they missed the playoffs, they win the Stanley Cup again. Then the Bruins win, and then they win a couple of more. I'm not suggesting that the Edmonton Oilers, this current one, is the late 60s, early 70s, uh, Jean Beliveau-led Montreal Canadiens. What I am saying is weird stuff does happen from time to time, and we're watching weird stuff. I know you're hating on Holland. I know you're hating on Woodcroft. I've said a lot of things in this show already about them. But I got to tell you, I'm surprised this team is this bad this early. We'll have to figure it out. On the way, NHL rumors and a few other things as well. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown. Sports 1440. Alan Mitchell. Declan Kruger. We're in the mall. People wave at us. Do you feel like a fish in a fishbowl? A little bit. A little bit, but it doesn't have the element of being trapped. You know what I mean? Like, I can go out, say hi to everybody, give them hugs. So, I have that freedom. But I, I think we've been here long bit. enough that I can say this. They won't boot us out, but there's a, there's a store below us that sells a certain product. Yes. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes I go, well, well, that I know what that is. Someone's having a good 12, 12 o'clock hour. Giddy up. So it's 4.20 somewhere. <laughs> My nose is perpetually stuffed, so I don't really ever smell anything. But I, I've, I've heard complaints from others. So, Well, I don't complain. No, you I don't. don't, no, I, no, I, you, I don't I'm not that guy. I don't you, do the product, but I do recognize the product. Yeah, let me rephrase. I've heard acknowledgments from others. Right. Not really complaints. No. no. Hallie gets a big, wide Joker-esque grin. So. Well, Hallie's been to places. You know, he's, yeah. he's a world traveler. He's seen some guy. things. One time I'll tell you about what happened to him when he asked... <laughs> For the time on the street in Vegas, only Hallie would have that happen to him. 
So a few things have happened. I thought the Oilers might use the waiver wire today. They mm-hmm. did not. Ken Holland has no room to wiggle. Like, I, he could, and he's not going to. He's a professional general manager. He's done it for years. He is concerned about his team, and I do not want to in any way imply that he isn't. But he could take a vacation right now. Like he could. There's nothing he can do. He can't do a damn thing. They have no room on the cap. None whatsoever. Connor McDavid is out for however long he's out, and then he'll come back. He's not off the roster. They didn't LTIR him. He's not going to be gone long enough. So it's done. It's done. I know they thought in the summertime they could do this. I have to say, watching Jay Woodcroft ignore Broberg and Holloway and try to cobble together a roster that's going to work with the rest of it is is just astounding to me. Like, is somebody has to be having a meeting about this. You're getting caved. How many goals did they give up in the third period last night? Four. Yeah. And I think they scored their first goal of the year in the third period last night. I'm just saying, it's it's funny. It's like if you went to see the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger wasn't there and Keith Richards was playing a banjo. That's a that's a really weird but shockingly accurate description <laughs> of how the season's played out so far. And you kept using the word dire. I could not agree more. Not that you know I, I can add insight that you can't, but that was the word I was using because because these windows don't last forever. No, they don't. And this window is getting so small. And now is the time. People make decisions about life in moments like this. That is my point. You know, everybody always says the right thing. Can I tell you a story? Yes. Okay. So I don't remember the year. I don't remember the year. But Dave Dombrowski was the general manager of the Montreal Expos. And the Montreal Expos were really the only thing I cared about. Well, I had other things, but the Expos were it for me. I loved them. And there was a rumor that the Montreal Expos were going to acquire Mark Langston and they did, and they gave up the world. They gave up Randy Johnson just before he exploded and became Randy Johnson. They gave up a pretty nice right-handed starter named Brian Holman, and then a, a good, hard-throwing reliever, a man named Gene Harris. And yes, I remembered all the names, but that's not the point right now. I remember the trade happened. It was like 3 in the morning, and I had given instructions to the person at the radio station that I worked at. His name was Mitchell Blair. I said, no matter what happens, no matter where I am, you call me when the trade happens. So he called me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And I was so happy. And then the next day, I'm still happy. And then I see an interview with Mark Langston. And the interviewer says, so uh, the Expos gave up a lot for you. And you're a free agent at the end of the year. Any thought on what you might do with the team in terms of signing with them before free agency? And Mark Langston said two words. Do you know what the two words were? We'll see. Well, we sure as hell did see. And I think Connor McDavid is committed to being here. I think Leon Dreisaitl is committed to being here. But they're committed to being here and bringing a Stanley Cup to the Edmonton Oilers. And what what, what they are do, what what is happening now is the team is cratering, and they're miles from being able to improve the team. You, you've got to draft and develop players. They're all in. If Evander Kane really isn't going to be the shooter that he's been in the past, 
if Connor Brown can't bring offense, if Evan Bouchard has lost the wand that he had in the spring, if the goaltenders can't goaltend, this is dire. The Boston Bruins placed Ian Mitchell on waivers. He's off to the AHL. I I always cheer for guys like Ian Mitchell because they always exist. And they're players who are, I'll call them bubble or fringe players. They could be in the AHL. They could be in the NHL. They're probably good enough to be in the NHL if a team likes them and they find their way and they have enough success. Then, then the coach stays for years, probably be around a long time. I always cheer for those guys. There's probably, let's say, the fourth line on the Oilers and the, the two third-pairing guys, that's five, and if they had extra players. So let's say there's eight players on the team, and let's, let's reduce that because that's a lot. Let's say there's six players on each team. That's about, 109, about 200 players, 32 times six is around 200, 188, I think. What's 32 times six? 192? Yep. Okay. So about that was really impressive by you, by the way. You did that really, really quickly. Well, you're just, you're just trying. I'm not giving you anything. Just, you know, go back to normal. <laughs> go back to not being impressed by me. So 192 players. And so there's 192 players in the NHL right now. And then there's probably another 150 in the AHL who could replace them. So let's say there's 350 players in the NHL, AHL who are interchangeable in some way or other. I cheer for all of them. That's That to me is sports. I cheer for those guys. Because the difference between making it and not making it is is, is just luck. It's just, it's nothing at all. You know, and... And I, so I, you cheer for them because they're 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 victims or they're they win the lottery. There's no in between for them. Ian Mitchell's one of those guys. The Bruins have signed Jack Edward, not Jack Edwards, Jack Edward, to a three-year entry-level team or contract with the team, eight hundred sixty thousand. They send him to the OHL. Brett Pesci, who was rumored to be a target by the Edmonton Oilers, would have been a great target. Carolina Hurricanes defenseman, he's out long-term. Uh, Rod Brindamore was very upset when he talked about his lower body injuries. I know it's a long time. Not happy. Don't blame him. And you know about the pride tape. I'm not going to talk about that again, but the NHL really let everybody down. Once You, you have to do the due diligence... You have to make the decision, which they did. They were pro-Pride Tape. They were pro-LGBTQ. At the end of that, you're done. You don't address it anymore. And if people start haranguing you and heckling you and calling you out, you ignore them because you've made your right decision. If you go back on it, then you have a character problem. And now the NHL has gone back on it again, so everybody's mad. Good job, good effort, National Hockey League. You know what the National Hockey League needs? They need a PR firm with gumption. Somebody who can walk in and say, Gary, shut up. Just end it. You've Leave it alone. You've done the job. Don't say a word and don't let other players get involved 
once you've made that decision. Now they look they look like idiots. I'm sorry, but they do. Let's say things get worse and things need to change and you got to change the coach. Do you feel we need a tough coach like Gerard Gallant or any recommendations? Thank you from Lokesh. I, I don't know. I, I think that Woodcroft is a player's coach and I think that Woodcroft is a, an, an analytical individual. And sometimes in baseball, you always, you know, you, you had a friend of the players and you would replace them with an enemy of the players like Bob Lemon used to replace Billy Martin when Billy Martin had done something stupid. And then Bob Lemon would get to Buddy Buddy and they'd fire him and bring Billy Martin back with the Yankees. But I I think that in today's world, you can't have, you can't have Mike Babcock. You just can't have him because, well, lots of reasons, but players don't respond to that so much anymore. You know, I grew up in the 70s. You know, if you if an, if, a, if an older adult male said to you in the 70s, go pick up that board and bring it over here, and you said, why? The answer was, because I said so. And that was the world that we lived in. I grew up in that world, you know. And in today's world, I don't think that that works. That's a really simple way of putting it, but I just don't. I think you've got to explain to the player why he's picking up that piece of wood and bringing it over there. Different tone. Did you check your tone? Afternoon, guys. I saw Broberg just level a guy yesterday. Sure got my attention. You'd think Woody would notice too. I agree Broberg would be good. Give him a chance. The reason you give him a chance, there's twofold. Number one, Bouchard really needs to have his minutes back down. And then secondly, invest in these in these young people. If you're a coach and you're investing in old people and losing, you are are really have to question what you're doing. If you're losing with older players and you have young players idling in the driveway that are qualified, eventually you'll just get fired. I, I don't understand what the Edmonton orders are doing. Logic and reason have taken a powder. Tide, isn't this part and parcel for old uh, Kenny Dutch? Do nothing, preach patience. What do you want me to do in a cap world, he'll say. Ken is a medieval war horse. <laughs> Who needs to be taken out to pasture immediately? Okay. Well, okay. He's been a very successful manager. And those are really interesting words you're using, and I appreciate them. Uh, I, I think uh, I think Ken Holland's last year is this year, and I do not think. If they weren't going to – see, he's making five, five million a year. So Daryl Cates has to go, hmm, if I bring in another guy, it's going to be X dollars. Now, Holland is done at the end of the year. They probably will boot him upstairs. That's what NHL teams do. And then they'll hire another guy. But they'll have enough. I don't think the new guy will make five mil. He'll probably be younger. But I think Ken Holland's it. Is Bouchard's offense really worth the liability of his defensive play? The Oilers need D-men that play defense. Here's the thing. they Bouchard can play defense. He did it with Ekholm last year. He's lost his confidence. Have you never been a young person who's lost their confidence? When's the last time you lost your confidence? Well, listen, me losing my confidence in Evan Bouchard, losing his confidence in a win-now window for the Oilers are a little bit of a different thing, but I do hear you. The last time I lost my confidence, truly, probably probably the first time you, you cut me up pretty good on the air. That was the first time I was like, maybe i got to take a step back. But again, that's not Evan Bouchard playing, playing Tom Minutes with the Oilers. What, 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 uh, 
What did I cut you up over? It must have been something brilliant. Oh, I, it, I'm sure it was good. I'm sure it was quick off the top by you, as it always is. I can't remember what it was, uh, but I remember it cut me deep. That one, that one hurt. My, that one hurt my heart in a way that you wouldn't believe. Oh, I feel bad Quote now. Dave. I, I don't really, but I, I'm going to pretend I do because it'll endear me to people. But listen, my confidence came back quick. So Evan, take notes, buddy. Get out the pen, pen and paper, and uh, take a play from old Declan. Well, also playbook. you do have to toughen up in life, right? You know, there is a part of that. Brown is pointless and now minus four. If he plays four more games, where did that go? He plays four more games. There's a serious cap hit next season. Any chance he gets waived? No. 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 Look, Ken Holland has committed to Connor Brown. Connor Brown actually, you know, as a two-way player, not bad. You know, Natural stat trick is a is it's, it's your friend. When you have questions like this, you just go to natural stat trick and it helps you. You go to individual players. You go to uh, on ice rates at five on five, and hit Edmonton Oilers forwards. And you go to a, a, a line called expected goals. It's uh, xgf per sixty. That's not what I want. I want this. Yeah, I want. <laughs> XGF percentage. So here are the top players by expected goals percentage so far this year. Okay. Leon, Yanmark, Nuge, Holloway, Hyman, Brown, McLeod, Fogel, McDavid, Ryan. Ryan is the only one. The first one, Ryan is at 44%. Evander Kane is having a tough run, 39%. And Adam Ernie, uh, I thought he'd get waived today, but he didn't, 36%. So there you go. That's what that's what's happening. That's what's happening. When when Connor Brown is on the ice, the expected goal share is fifty two percent. The actual goal share is zero. They haven't scored while he's been on the ice late yet, and obviously four goals against. But some of these numbers are just you wouldn't believe it. Evander Kane is two goals for and eight against, and I criticized him the other day. People got mad at me. He's not doing – you can't do that. You can't be two goals for and eight against on a top line. In fact, I, I, I don't have time to do it right now. But one of the things you can look at when you have time, you can go in and, and uh, take individual players on natural stat trick and at five-on-five, on-ice goal share, what does it look like and, and all of that stuff. And what you find is that – with Evan Bouchard, Connor McDavid is zero goals for and four against. With Evander Kane, Connor McDavid is one goal for and four against. With Connor Brown, Connor McDavid is zero goals for and three against. That's a problem. That's a problem because let's just do this. With Evander Kane, Connor McDavid is one goal for and four against at five on five. A really important, the, the biggest game state. One goal for and four against. 